truth? Truth is... Truth is just, uh, when... I don't know. That's a really hard question. What, what is, is truth? Truth. 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 truth is really... Hard to define because... A lot of different people have... Different. A set of beliefs. Present moment is truth, I think. What is truth? Truth will set you free. I truly believe there's a difference between fact and truth. Truth is very hard to give a definition to, I think. Truth is what kind of guides you. The lack of guilt is truth. Truth, I like to think of as, imagine a cathedral of the world, and there are windows, lots of windows in this cathedral, and Truth, with a capital T, shines through the windows. So when I ask you something, you just have to tell. People expect people to tell the truth. I think truth is a belief system. Fact is concrete, like there's a brown table here. But if you want to believe it's blue, then that's your truth, that's your reality. Truth is what really happened. Truth is honesty. It's truth. Everybody sees things in different ways, so one person's memory can be different from another person's memory and what happened. There are people out there who say there is no truth. You can just create your own truth. I define truth as the way the Bible has given us instruction to live. And then we, humans, are inside, and we're looking at this truth shining through all these windows. We're seeing the refraction, the reflection, we're looking at it out of our own eyes and heart, and we're, we understand it in a way that makes sense for us. In a philosophical sense, or a factual sense, if you talk in philosophy, different people with different value systems may have different what they see as truth. Uh, if you look at truth as fact, then you have historical facts you can verify, you have scientific facts. So therefore, I might interpret truth through the lens of Christianity. I might interpret truth through the lens of science. I tend toward more of the empirical truth of, of facts. Something is true when uh, it's untainted. You're talking on the materialistic level. Uh, truth is two and two. Two is four. There's no way around it. You're talking on the spiritual level, which is a much higher realm. You're talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. All religions believe that what they believe is the law of the universe. I have a bit of the truth. You have a bit of the truth. Each of us does. Truth is always with us. Truth is just believing in somebody or not. There has to be a fixed truth, in my opinion, for the universe to function properly. What is truth? It's a relative. Truth is relative. That's from the Truth Project, and it, they kind of captured kind of the idea of what we're going to discuss today and, and really um, what we're wrestling with. You know, what is truth? Our culture defines truth as kind of a, what you firmly believe. You know, if you sincerely believe it's true, it's got to be true. And, uh, you know, our, our culture, is uh, this world is just kind of on this constant quest to, to discover truth and to look to ourselves to discover truth. It's, it's the key to our belief system. Of course, if that's the case, then truth may change. As you become enlightened, as you learn more things, truth can change, but it's what you truly believe. So for you, 
what's truth for you is truth for you. For me, what's truth for me is truth for me. That's what we see all around us. You see, our world clearly accepts this materialistic truth, two plus two is four, but not this ultimate absolute truth that there's something that makes all the materialistic truth real. You see, in our world, truth is relative. It's my truth versus your truth. It's based on me and my perceptions and my paradigms. It's based on how I see the world. Example, if someone were to call uh, Donovan and Julie and say, um, we've never met you guys, we want to meet you at church. Okay, what side of the church do you sit on? What would you say? What side? The right side, okay? They would say they sit on the right side, correct? And, they, and that's kind of their spot, and so that's where they sit. Now, if it just so happened that that person that was going to meet them, okay, for the first time happened to be on the worship team, they would come to church and come over and say, hey, you must be Donovan, Right? to Gus because to me they sit on the left side Donovan and Julie this is the right side okay and so what's really true my truth is different than your truth right from my perspective you guys are on the left side you guys are on the right side and so you know like I drive by the jail a lot of times and and you see the little windows in the jail and at times I I pray for the people at times I don't give much thought to the people sometimes I think specifically about people in the jail, but Marsha and, and, and Mickey and Lisa and these jamming ladies have a Bible study in the jail, so they get to see the families. They get to see the person sitting in the cell in a way different perspective. Their idea of what that person is truly like is way different than mine. But the jailers who are with them all the time have a totally different perspective. And the arresting officers, the law enforcement officials who arrested them have a different perspective of them. And the attorney that defended them and prosecuted them and the judges have a different perspective and their families have a different perspective and the victims of their crime have a different perspective. And you could ask about any single person in there and say, what is the truth about that person? And based on your perspective, based on your paradigm, you would have a very strong opinion of what was truth. You see, it's all about my truth versus your truth. And that's what our world really tries to capture. We're taught to kind of create our own truth because really we're all wired to desire truth. And the reason we really want to create our own truth is because it's kind of how we view everything in life and we act on what we believe. And so we want to make sure our actions are justified by what we believe is true. The title of this message is Just Now, Treasure Truth. Just now, treasure truth. And we're spending a few weeks on, on what I call a treasure hunt, trying to really challenge you to kind of look inside and determine what your core values are. What do you really treasure? What's really precious to you? What are you giving your life for? Because ultimately, that's what you're dying for. You see, we're all in that process. So what are we investing our lives in? What's precious to you? And as a church, we're going to look at our core values over the next several weeks and, and really determine and share what's really precious to us. And since you are the church, it really becomes critical that your core values match up with the core values of this body or you'll just always be frustrated here, right? Because the decisions we make are based on what we hold to be core, what we hold to be truth. And if your values line up, this will be an incredible place to grow and to become involved and to initiate as well as implement different, um, really, pictures of that truth as it comes out. Last week, we looked at our preeminent, really core value is our relationship with God is the most important value through Jesus Christ. And, and, and really, 
that, that relationship with God becomes preeminent. And so we considered kind of a lot of what I called American idols that keep us back from that core value. And we looked at how our good works, being a good guy, good gal, can keep us back from really having a preeminent relationship with God. We looked at how our money and our stuff of this world can keep us back. We looked at how really other human relationships can keep us back. And, and, and how it's so subtle, but we all of a sudden replace this preeminent desire to have a relationship with God with being a good man, being a good woman, okay? It's just subtle. And we're trying to kind of recommend a book to just, you know, supplement everything you're doing here. And last week we talked about Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. And, and he really kind of captures this whole idea that about treasures and about idols and he kind of does it in a much broader scope than we looked at last week but but ultimately kind of boiled down to the fact that that God has declared his treasure and it's you you see you're God's treasure he gave his life for you you give your life for what you treasure and he gave his life for you you're God's treasure thus it makes sense to have him as our treasure and the only way we won't have good works and money and stuff and other people, people pleasers as our treasures, if God's really our treasure. And what's totally fascinating about God, if he is our treasure, guess what follows? Good works, we're fine with finances, money, then we can take it or leave it, we're fine with our relationships. It's amazing how it has to begin with God and all things flow out of that, okay? This series is called Just Now, and today we're gonna look at Just Now, treasure truth and the reason it's called just now is because so many of the choices we make as a matter of fact every choice we make ultimately comes down to a choice we make just now things in our past affects those choices but just now we get to choose what we're gonna what we're gonna do and the things they impact our future but truly everything comes down to just now choices we're we're not changing our preaching team uh, Bill and Pat just kind of graciously took a week each off and they kind of moved it around different sides for this time and so I'm just kind of compelled to take this on so but we're going to start back in the team in the fall working through the life of Paul which will be totally cool but just now we're going to look at truth so just now let's let's pray okay father we come to you and and uh, and God we come full full of information full of ideas full of plans full of struggles for many full of joys for many and we come to this morning father and i just ask that we each stop and that we stop and consider you the god of the universe and i pray father that you you would move in every life i pray that you would make yourself known to each person here i pray father that we would each examine our hearts and that the god the king of kings lord of lords would speak to each one of us may you be glorified in this time in Jesus' name, amen. So the book uh, kind of to recommend this week is The Grace and Truth Paradox. It's by Randy Alcorn, and we're going to look at grace in a few weeks, but he kind of ties those two things together. Pontius Pilate, we looked at the beginning of the Truth Project. He said, what is truth? And I think Pilate's really kind of a good picture of our world. Pilate would be what we would call maybe a governor in, in our world. He was like the governor of Judea. They didn't call it that, but that was kind of his role. He was appointed, though, by Tiberius, was the emperor, and Pilate was the one who was responsible for kind of all the tax collectors and all the money coming through. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of power. He had military power. He had prestige. He had a lot of stuff of the world. He had all kinds of people um, coming and going, as he said, and he was kind of a brutal guy. But the reason I say that he was a great picture of the world is because he kind of had a lot of things that we want, okay? But really, beyond that, he was a great picture of the world because if you ever thought 
Or have you ever said, or have you ever had anyone say to you, if God would just come down and speak to me, like he did to Moses, I'd believe him. Right? If God would come down and speak to me, I'd believe him. Well, guess what happened to Pilate? He's standing face to face with Jesus Christ. God is right before him. The truth is right before him. You know what? He's, he misses it. And he says, what is truth? Believe me, that's not the answer. Because God has come down. God has spoken. He has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. Christ is still alive. And guess what? In our world, day after day after day, people miss the truth. Second Timothy, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, is where we're going to look today. Second Timothy chapter 3. And it's one of the epistles that Paul wrote really to his, his disciple or his, his mentor, one of the people that he was mentoring, was Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, Realize this, in the last days there's going to be difficult times. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. They're going to be unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. They're going to be brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're going to hold to a form of godliness. Although they've denied its power, they avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into the household and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. And they are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul writes to Timothy, and he captures our times. He captures these last days. He uses the, 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 the picture for us of how difficult these days are. And he says they're going to be difficult times. Those are, the word is perilous times. And that word is only used here in the New Testament as well as in the book of Matthew. And in Matthew... Uh, it's used to describe those who are demonized, those guys who were under the control of the demons, who everybody was terrified to go by them. And so what Paul's talking about in these last times, these difficult times, these perilous times we live in, is not about the wars that are going on. It's not about the natural disasters. It's not about the famine or the diseases. It's not about the economy. What makes these times perilous is the wickedness of man. The wickedness of man, and it's all around us. You see, he's not really describing the circumstances. He's describing the people. And he describes the vices of men, right? They're focused on themselves. They've decided that they're God. They've decided that they get to decide what truth is. They have kind of this form of godliness, this outward picture of being religious, this outward picture of being good. But, but they're weak in the truth. And basically what happens is because of sin, they just kind of move from one false teacher to the next false teacher to the next false teacher, searching somehow for the truth. But it's just this process of one after the other after the other. And here we are commanded to worship the one true God. He's given us this world that he created to point us to him. And because of sin, we live in this fallen world and we grow up and we're inundated and we're totally surrounded by this world that gives us little pieces of the truth. But we miss the sum total. Always learning. Always learning. Now that's not difficult for us to imagine. In our world, we are inundated with information. 
In Forbes, I, I put a little slide up here. That's um, a little difficult to see, but it kind of captures the idea. This is from Forbes in June of uh, 2011. And every minute, every minute, there's about 700,000 Google searches. Every minute, there's 168 million emails sent. Every minute, there's 700,000 status updates on Facebook, about 80,000 wall posts, about a half a million comments every minute. About 12,000 ads on Craigslist every minute. That's a ton of information. You go beyond that, according to Google Facts, there's about 620 million visits to Google every day. 600 million. There's 87 0.8 billion monthly searches. Google makes about $700 a second. The average person, according to Google Facts, looks at their phone about 150 times a day. Okay? I know, you feel guilty. It's okay. You can put it away now. You were just texting or sending one of the 168 million emails during church that this is dreadful. I want out of here. But... <laughs> I got, I got your text. I get it. And that's the wrong number. Wrong number. But anyway, you know, we look at it and you think about that and just think about 150 times a day. And I was telling Marsh this and she was saying, just think if every day we looked at our phone, we thought about God. How cool would that be? But you know, you break that down into 15 hours, that's like 10 times an hour. And you know what? That's not that far from the truth, right? And I know my kids would say, come on, that's nothing 150 times a day, right? And, uh, but, but it's amazing to think about how much information we have in our hand. This truth, always learning, oh man, we are learning all the time. So how do we determine what is true? How do we determine that? You see, I'm convinced that everyone wants a knowledge of the truth. We're wired to want the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free, and every single one of us wants freedom. We all long to be free. We want to know we're walking in truth. And there's like this kind of subtle movement in our world, this subtle little thing to always get us to try and define truth ourselves. Okay? It's just subtle. But it's just everywhere. Define what's true. And the reason why is because we want freedom. We want to be free, so what we want to do is we want to know what we're doing, the things that we're believing, the things that we're acting on are really true. We want to know my truth is the right truth, right? And we're all searching for the real truth. The guy who goes to the prostitute and the guy who pays for that and the guy who's addicted to pornography online is just searching for God. They're really searching for the truth. They're searching for something real. But the problem is we cannot create our own truth. All we can do is discover truth. We cannot create our own truth, only discover truth. And so as we try and make decisions about our core values and our treasures and about truth, how do we discover truth? And so each and every one of us needs to stop and think about what's our standard to determine on these trillions of pieces of information that goes through our minds how do we determine what's true or not? What is your standard? What's your standard? You know, often believers will come and they'll, they'll try and make a big list of things not to do to avoid because that's not right and that's not true. But when you stop and look at the information, you realize it's impossible. How do you decide of the 700,000 searches every minute on Google which one you shouldn't do? It's impossible. 
And, and it's like, you know, if you're going to train a, a teller or a checker to, to spot a counterfeit $100 bill, okay, you can, you can try and train them every possible way to counterfeit a $100 bill. That's ridiculous. But instead what you do is if you train them what a real $100 bill looks like, they become extremely familiar with the real thing. And then all of a sudden when the one that's fake comes through, you know what? It just isn't quite right. It just doesn't seem quite right. There's something a little off about this. That's how you recognize the fake one. C.S. Lewis said it like, you can't possibly know uh, what a line is crooked unless you have an idea of what a straight line is. Okay? And thankfully, God, he's not deserted us in this Google world, in these perilous times. But instead, he's given us his word. He's given us his truth. And, and at Rimrock, see, we believe that the Bible is true. That's what we believe. It's one of our core values. And we make decisions based on that fact. And, and guess what? Each one of you guys gets to decide. Every single one of you gets to decide if you believe that's true or not. Uh, you get to decide your standard of what you use to determine truth. What's your standard? You know, you get all this information that comes through. How do you decide if it's true or false? Do you just kind of go by how you're intelligent? You go by your, your education? You go by, like, your experience? Do you go by your reason? It just makes sense that that has to be true? Do you go by your feelings? It just feels like that has to be true? Do you go by your circumstances? Based on my circumstances, what I'm dealing with, this has to be true? Do you decide by what your neighbors say, your friends say, your parents say, your pastors say? How do you decide what's true? You make millions and millions of decisions. How do you decide? How do you decide if it's okay to marry this person or not? If it's okay to date this person or not? How do you decide if it's okay to have sex outside of marriage or not? How do you decide if marriage is between a man and a woman or not? How do you decide if this affair is okay? How do you decide if you're over 21, the law of the land, that it's okay to drink a glass of wine? How do you decide that it's okay to get drunk because it's been a horrible day today? Right? How do you decide what income you're going to put on your tax return? what you're going to put on your expense report. How do you decide really how much on the test you can cheat? How do you decide about your money and about your friendships and about your actions and your activities? How do you decide? Not just big decisions, little decisions. What's your standard to decide that it's true? And the Bible gives us guidelines. The Bible gives us what we call guardrails. And they're, they, like, protect us from going off a cliff, right? And, of course, if you're going down the road and you hit a guardrail, you're kind of ticked off at the guardrail because it, it kind of wrecks your car maybe, but it's nicer than going over the cliff. And, honestly, anymore in our society, the reason we hit the guardrail oftentimes is maybe because we're texting, you know? We got <laughs> all this information here. We're learning. We're always learning, you know? How do we decide what to do with all this stuff? And Jesus says the word is truth. The psalmist says, the sum of thy word is truth. And if the Bible is really true, that changes every decision we make. Every decision comes from that perspective if it's really true. Now, I honestly think that we need to ask ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, why should we accept the Bible as true? Why? I mean, we have so many other things that are competing with the Bible to be true, so many things. And our world just really, as for the most part, doesn't believe there's absolute truth. And there's so many things competing. And you know what? They look a lot better. A lot of times they look better. They sound better. They seem more reasonable. Man, it's much more pleasant, a lot of the stuff. 
And we have this enemy, the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, Satan. And he's a liar and he speaks lies and he's a father of lies and he's a deceiver. And what a way to deceive us, but give us all this incredible, attractive looking lies that look true. We have it all around us in our world. You see, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We started worship the creator. Rather than worshiping the creator, we've worshiped his creation. How do we decide if the Bible's true, first of all? Because from there, if we decide the Bible's true, there's other ultimate truth that we have to come face to face with. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy goes on, or Paul goes on and talks about these difficult times. And in verse 16, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. You see, the Bible's telling God's story. The Bible's telling God's story. And you know what? He allows each and every one of you to decide if you're going to believe it or not. You get to choose, okay? This is God's telling his story. It's inspired. God's word that he has given to us is his Bible. Now, the Bible... All scripture here is, is really a library of books, okay? It's 66 different books written by more than 40 authors, covers over 1,600 years. And basically, Jesus Christ and the early church really gave the uh, recognition that this canon of scripture had divine authority. So the Bible claims to be the word of God. Do you believe it? That's your choice. It's called the canon of Scripture. The canon is, is, a, is a measuring rod or a standard of truth to which we compare all other so-called truths. Now, you know, there's all kinds of evidence to prove the Bible is true. Uh, there's all kinds of manuscripts. You know, manuscript evidence is incredible with the Bible. And it, 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 there's like, jeez, uh, just thousands of them we'll talk about. But basically, the, the Bible was originally a book. It's a book, and so it's made up of manuscripts. And so the way you can tell the credibility of a book made up of manuscripts is you look at the number of manuscripts in possession and you compare it to what you have as the original and you can kind of, define, you can kind of tell if it's really based on the original manuscripts, right? They kind of correspond back and forth. It's kind of like eyewitnesses. Maybe that's the easy way to say it. You have an eyewitness to the crime. The more you have, the greater picture you'll get of the whole truth. And so Josh McDowell wrote a book back in 1972, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. McDowell was out trying to prove the Bible was false. And he started going out to prove it, and basically he came away and said, man, you can't prove the Bible's ultimately false. If you reject the Bible as true, then you have to reject every other piece of literature from antiquity. And he said there's like 5,300 known Greek manuscripts. That was in 72. Now they figure there's 56 to 5,800 Original Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. There's another 10,000 manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate. There's another 9,300 manuscripts of other virgins. There's over 24,000 manuscript copies of portions of the New Testament. That's nothing compared to 168 million emails a second, we might think, right? But listen, in that time from antiquity, there's no other document even close. The second most documented book was the Iliad by Homer, and there's 643, 24,000 manuscripts versus 600. And, and so when you try and find proof, you want to find out if something's true, you're looking for proof, all you can do is look at the evidence, examine the evidence. If you examine the evidence and it's compelling, you come to a firm belief that this is true. Guess what? Scripture is supported by overwhelming evidence. Think about the number of people through the years who have tried to prove the Bible false. 
It is mind-boggling, and they have failed. Up against the test of Scripture, they failed. And we can walk away and think it's true and really not allow it to impact our lives. But the thing is, is if Scripture is really inspired by God, that means it's God-breathed. That means that this is wholly given by God. That means that the Bible has its source in God. The Bible claims that it's infallible. It, it's completely trustworthy. It's a guide that allows us to, to make decisions. It's inerrant, which means it's without error in the original writings. We have to attempt to determine what the original author's intent was. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We use the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is inerrant. It's without error. That's what it claims. Now think about it. God used like 40 different authors, 1,600 years. That's a long time. Imagine the difference in the world between Moses, which most scholars think wrote Genesis, to John in Revelation. Imagine the difference in their world. Kind of put it into perspective, the United States is about 220 years old, maybe. Okay? Imagine the difference between what George Washington and John Adams knew and what we know. Think about the difference in their world. Think about the difference in their technology and their transportation and, and their history and the things they knew and the information at their hands. It is not even close. And that's only a little over 200 years. This is 1,600 years of history that God used to tell his story. And, and you know what's amazing? They all point to God and they don't contradict. And he used prophecy and proverbs and songs and poetry and letters and they all point to God. Now we need enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, but, but God's word is complete. God's word is true. God has spoken. And all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. It, it allows us to know what's right. It's profitable for re reproof. Okay, for knowing what's wrong. It's profitable for correction, for strengthening us and keeping it right and training us in righteousness. God's word teaches us what's right, what's wrong. It strengthens us. It helps us keep it right. Just now, I challenge you to treasure truth. You see, as a church, we believe the Bible's true. You get to pick. God is making himself known. He's telling his story, his truth. And, and just because something happens to me that I don't understand doesn't mean it doesn't happen to me. Mark Twain said it this way, most people are bothered by the passages of Scripture that they do not understand. But the passages that bother me are those that I do understand. <laughs> doesn't take many to be bothered. And I want to tell you about one. <laughs> in the book of John the truth of the Bible points to the ultimate truth which is found in God himself you see the Bible is God's story and ultimate truth is found not based on what I think and it's not based on what you think sorry to say and it's not based on what you see online sorry to say ultimate truth is what God says is true it's that simple if he's really God, if there is a God, ultimate truth is what he says is true, right? So in the book of John, it begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. The life was the light of man. See, a word is an expression of an idea. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. You see, the ultimate truth is found in Jesus Christ. He came as an expression of God. He came as God to live as a man to show how God was designed, how God designed man to live. And you see, we have a choice. We can define truth ourselves. Think about what you use for an authority. <laughs> You're going to count on yourself to decide what's true. You're going to count on me. You're going to count on a myriad of other choices. You see, ultimate truth is a self-expression of God. Truth is what God perceives. Which means you cannot find truth apart from God. It's kind of a harsh statement. It's not my idea. You see, I, I might be wrong about a lot of things, but God's not wrong. You might be wrong a lot, a lot of things. God is never wrong or he couldn't be God. You see, we're compelled to accept God's truth, to appropriate God's truth, to apply God's truth to our lives. We're to believe his truth whether we like it or not. And truth is absolute, which means that truth can be found. And now here's a verse everyone can understand, like Mark Twain, Mark Twain was talking about, and a passage that kind of can stump you. John chapter 14, verse 6. It's a memory verse. So many of us know it by heart. And Jesus Christ is speaking. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And then he said, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, okay? I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, if the Bible's really true, which there's compelling evidence to believe it is, and if the Bible is really true, which it says it is, and Jesus Christ is really who he says he was in the Bible. He claims to be God. If that's really true, and then he claims to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to God by me, that's what he claims to be true. You see, are we narrow or intolerant, which is the big word today, right? Tolerance, except what I want you to believe. Are we narrow, are we intolerant, are we arrogant to believe this is true? Not a bit, you know why? It's not my idea. I don't have to try and convince you that what I said is so great. This is what God said, okay? It's up to you to believe him or not. I'm not trying to define truth, okay? But here's the deal. If it really is true, if the Bible really is true, if Jesus Christ really is God, if he really defines truth that way, if we get it wrong about Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what else we get right in life. It doesn't matter. You see, we can get everything else right in life. We can be a great guy, a great gal. We can do all kinds of great things for other people. We can be great with our money. We can make money, save money, give away tons of money. We can be great with our relationships, great friends. We can have a great marriage. But if we don't get it right with the truth of what God says is true, it's ultimately worthless. And you know what? It's not what I decided. It's not my idea. 
And we have to face that fact. We have to face the fact that how can what the Bible claims to be true, how can what Jesus Christ claims to be true, how can that stand alongside all the other religions and still be true? How can it stand alongside all the things the billions of other people have decided are true? How can it stand behind, beside that and still be true? It can't. It cannot. Jesus did not give us an or. It cannot. So we get to choose. Just now we can treasure truth in Jesus Christ or not. You know, the Truth Project kind of summed up the main religion, said Muhammad said he claimed to teach truth. Buddha said, I'm searching for truth. Jesus Christ said, I am truth. What you believe about Christ determines everything else in your life determines everything else in eternity. The choice is yours. The evidence is overwhelming. Just now, treasure truth. Father, we just pause right now to consider you. And God, we admit that we all come from all different places of authority. We all have different things that we have decided to accept as true. We have decided to use as our authority. And Father, I just pray right now that each and every person in this place would come face to face with the God of the universe. Your word says that you're alive, that you have risen, that you are true, that you are the way, that your Holy Spirit is here. Father, may you make yourself evident to each person just between you and them now. May you open their heart to hear from you and may they treasure you as truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, before Tom sings, go ahead and start. We're gonna, we, we started last week where the elders are just coming up here to the front to pray. And, uh, and so I think Lee's coming up, maybe Mike, but there's a lot of people that really took advantage of that. And so I, we just wanna leave that op option open to you. If you just wanna pray, anything on your heart. It's not a counseling session. It's just, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, these guys are up here right up by Donovan. He'd probably pray for you too if you come up that way. So as Tom sings or as it closes, feel free. God.